Good afternoon. Actually, good morning. It's still 11.40 a.m. And this is the Tomorrow Christian Today, about to read Leviticus 6 in the NLT. But first and always, we pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for a beautiful day. Thank you for working out. Thank you for getting me out of bed. Lord, I just I can't just sit here and cave in. I have to try to be great. But I realize, Lord, that I cannot do anything without your power. Your grace is sufficient for me, more than enough. I pray for anybody who's listening, and I pray for anybody who would accept your word with meekness and humility, not arrogance and proud pride, including myself. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. I, I have to say that I went to a party yesterday, and I was trying to explain to some dudes in that party about muscle and glucose and glycogen and water molecules binding to glycogen in the muscle. And this guy who's actually in, you know, on a team, I don't see him every day, but he's a really nice dude. I said, well, you know, when I talk to you, um, I sound like I'm, I have to get notes and paper and pencil because you sound like a scientist. And I, I know he's joking around with me. He's a very, uh, he's a guy that can really talk well to people at a party. He doesn't just stand there and stare and just eat his food and say nothing. Some people can really network well and he'd be one of them. But I kind of, it was very funny because, you know, I've been doing this my whole life. And everything that I say that comes tumbling out of my mouth, I never, I never, um, I never made it up. I go to YouTube for everything. I go to YouTube for information about bodybuilding, about nutrition, about the physiology behind the muscles, the type 2B muscle fibers, the skeletal muscle fibers, the, the fast twitch muscle fibers and the slow twitch muscle fibers. I went to aqua I went to YouTube about aquariums. I go to YouTube about theology. I go to YouTube now and they talk about relationships, men um, calling women, um, what, what are the, what's the words, misandry, misogyny, and women saying all these things, um, hypergamy. And now I see people on YouTube uh, just doing relationships, cheating on each other. And I'm just astounded. I'm just astounded. Like I'm just, I'm just looking at the, um, the learning academy of the world. What people are filming, people say, oh, you don't have to, you don't have to judge people. They'll tell on themselves. Like YouTube is people making videos telling on themselves. The world is telling on itself why it's passing away. Like it's absolutely stunning what people do to each other, how they manipulate each other, hurt each other, hurting people hurt each other. They talk about relationships. Everybody's looking for love, but they just can't find it. Because the world has become very, very individualized. You know, I want this, I want these million requirements. I want him to have a certain height and hair and make a six-figure salary. And, and then these other dudes are talking about what they want in a woman, what, what she should be, submissive and cooperative. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm just laughing my head off because people tell what they want from other people. You're never going to get it without the Holy Spirit of God, never. I'm not here to mock people. I really am not. I'm just looking at stuff. I'm trying to learn. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just passing on the message that I've seen. Anybody listening to me has access to YouTube. Anybody can go to YouTube and sit down and do a search and look at videos for entertainment. But they can also look at videos for spiritual enlightenment. What does the world do? How does the world carry on with God, without God? What do the results look like? They don't look very good, to be honest. 
Leviticus 6, sins requiring a guilt offering. Then the Lord said to Moses, suppose one of you sins against your associate and is unfaithful to the Lord. Suppose you cheat in a deal involving a security deposit or you steal or commit fraud or you find lost property and lie about it or you lie while swearing to tell the truth or you commit any such sin. If you have sinned in any of these ways, you are guilty. You must give back whatever you stole or the money you took by extortion or the security deposit or the lost property you found or anything obtained by swearing falsely. You must make restitution by paying the full price plus an additional 20% to the person you have harmed. On the same day, you must present a guilt offering. As a guilt offering to the Lord, you must bring to the priest your own ram with no defects, or you may buy one of equal value. Through this process, the priest will purify you before the Lord, making you right with him, and you will be forgiven for any of those sins you have committed. Like when people commit sins and they cheat on each other, say, like, do they feel guilty? Is there any repentance in their soul, like, I'm sorry for what I've done to you? Like if you're dating somebody for three years and you see somebody else you like, while well, you're not married to the other person, then finish with one person before you start with someone else. I would say that for, like, does anybody have any guilt? Because this guilt offering, I'm just looking at a guilt offering and it says that blood, you know, the blood of animals was supposed to purge you you are supposed to make restitution for your sin. If you don't acknowledge your sin, then you're not gonna make restitution. The devil has no guilt because he doesn't feel guilty for anything he's done. His conscience is seared. Some of the people doing these things like, is your, don't you have a conscience? Doesn't it bother you what you've done to somebody else? You've done an evil and bad thing and you're just carrying it on and then somebody catches you on and puts the video on a TikTok or YouTube for the rest of us to kind of laugh going, wow, I'm glad that's not me. Or dang, I'm never gonna have a relationship with anybody because it's just a lot of hard work. You can't trust people anymore. It's absolutely amazing to me. Further instructions for the burnt offering. Then the Lord said to Moses, give Aaron and his sons the following instructions regarding the burnt offering. The burnt offering must be left on top of the altar until the next morning, and the fire on the altar must be kept burning all night. In the morning, after the priest on duty has put on his official linen clothing and linen undergarments, he must clean out the ashes of the burnt offering and put them beside the altar. Then he must take off these garments, change back into his regular clothes, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonial queen. Ceremonial queen. Meanwhile, the fire on the altar must be kept burning and must never go out. Each morning, the priest will add fresh wood to the fire and arrange the burnt offering on it. He will then burn the fat of the peace offerings on it. Remember, the fire must be kept burning on the altar at all times. It must never go out. All these different offerings, you know, I have to say I get a little lost with the details, but all of these things are about sin, you know, peace offering, guilt offering, um, sin offering. They're all about sin. They're all about discontinuity. They're all about people doing bad things, having bad relationships. I honestly used to wonder, why did God get so angry about Adam and Eve not trusting him? Because he knew that he was going to let them do their will and he was going to surrender their world to their will and let them build the world. And he knew that human effort and human love is very feeble. Human 
love, human loyalty, human commitment is weak. How do you marry somebody and stay married to a person for 50 years because everybody changes? Everybody gets old. Everybody's body gets old. Everybody's character gets a little bit harder. Everybody gets a little bit more loveless, a little bit more jaded, a little bit more cynical. He knew what would happen to humans without him. God knew, that's why he got upset. People scream and shake their fist at the sky and say, oh, God doesn't care about us. Why doesn't he do anything? We're the ones that made the choice. That's what I see in the Genesis story. I don't care if you want to debate it, if it's literal or not, I couldn't care less at this point. This story was written by someone inspired by God. And it's trying to tell us about how, where human nature was born. It came from us wanting to do our own thing and putting our will over God's will. I'm not trying to be um, a Bible thumper. I just, I've, I've committed sins too, but, but I see there's something wrong in us. There's something broken in us. And broken people may have the best intentions, but it takes long-term commitment and Holy Spirit power to keep temporal sinful beings together and connected where they don't hurt each other too badly or at all. I just speak as someone who's just trying to read the Bible and just ask the Lord, beg the Lord, Lord, I'm just a simple apple, a leftover apple. I'm a nobody. I live in a small town, you know, they said about Jesus and I'm, I'm his follower, I'm not Jesus. I'll never be as perfect as Jesus Christ. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Well, can any good thing come out of Bradford? I live in a tiny town and I love it. It's a straight line, I can't get lost. I just feel like a leftover apple, but I'm glad the Lord brought me here. But in all honesty, I'm just reading my Bible, just a little nobody. And I'm reading this and I'm going, Lord, what are you showing me about human nature, about myself, about sins, about with all the talk, with all these sacrifices, what are you trying to show us? Yes, the Israelites were doing that old covenant, all the sacrifice, but this is a timeless book. Surely these words that I'm reading here, even though they were written 2,500 years ago, are relevant for us, for us to think about spiritual things. When, when, when Nicodemus came to Jesus and Jesus says, a man must be born again, Nicodemus has no clue what he's talking about. He says, you a teacher of Israel, you don't know what I mean? That a man must be born again? Can a man come go climb back into his mother's womb and be born again? That's not what Jesus said. Your whole thinking, your whole ego, your whole selfishness, your whole self-centeredness to other-centeredness has to be refurbished, re-transformed. God has to rip out all the old wires and put in new thinking, and it takes time because this thinking here, human nature is we hurt each other. I mean, people cheating on each other and crying and screaming. I'm stunned at this. I didn't have to put up with this all honesty, but I, I wonder sometimes, I guess, I guess my wife just got bored. She just bored of me. I had no red flags. I was too boring, too sappy. It's sad, man. I just shake my head and I'm just like, this is not my home. I'm not happy here. If this, if, if this world were my home, I'd be happy here. This world is not my home. I'm just a stranger. I'm just a passerby. I wish I could sing as a song about it. I'm just a stranger, I'm just a nomad. Verse 19, then the Lord said to Moses, 
On the day Aaron and his sons are anointed, they must present to the Lord a grain offering of two quarts of choice flour, half to be offered in the morning and half to be offered in the evening. It must be carefully mixed with olive oil and, and cooked on a griddle. Then slice this grain offering and present it as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. In each generation, the high priest who succeeds Aaron must prepare the same offering. It belongs to the Lord, must be burned up completely. This is a permanent law. All such grain offerings of a priest must be burned up entirely. None of it may be eaten. I think there was a guy who wrote a book. Um, I forgot what it was, but he was talking about a permanent law. The word permanent means to the vanishing point. Because this was, you know, the old covenant did vanish away because it says that in Hebrews is it Hebrews 8 or Hebrews 10? It says the old covenant has been voided and nulled. God is going to rewrite a new covenant where he rewrites things in our hearts. But the new covenant was, that was always the whole point of all of this. This is all supposed to be teaching. God is rewriting our software, our spiritual software where we do trust him. I walk around Walmart and I buy things and I go, Lord, I'm trusting you. I, I'm not passive. I don't want to be passive. So I go to the gym, I don't know, the gym is my way of just fighting against the entropy, the death, the depression, the emptiness. The, the emptiness I feel in the world, even it looking at my own soul. It's just, I, I, my name should be rage. I'm just raging against entropy. I'm raging against the unfairness of life. We all want more in life. We're like, I'm not being paid enough. I'm not being appreciated enough. I'm not being loved enough. I'm not getting things that I need to get. I don't feel like I have met my goals. Rage, all I can do is just rage by lifting a couple of heavy weights and sweating, which doesn't really sound like all that much, to be honest. It sounds pretty meager, pretty petty, and, and pretty minuscule, if you ask me. It's pretty humbling, actually. The meek shall inherit the earth. Boy, I hope so, because I don't feel like all that much as I thought I would. It's not a pity party, but maybe it has to be a pity party so we can realize God is everything. We're nothing. Without God, you can do nothing. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. You can't do anything without God's spirit living in you. Commitment and iron will and all that sort of stuff, man, that comes from God. Even some unbelievers who don't believe in God, it must be coming from God because some people have an iron will. They are very committed. That must be coming from God. Because I think, I don't know, as a human being, I just like want to give up. Sometimes I just want to quit. It's like, I just don't want to do this anymore. And it's like, you can't quit. There's no other options. Failure is not an option. Further instructions for the sin offering. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give Aaron and his sons the following instructions regarding the sin offering. The animal must be given as an offering for sin is a most holy offering. No, the, the, whole, the, the animal given as an offering for sin is a most holy offering and must be slaughtered in the Lord's presence at the place where the burnt offerings are slaughtered. The Lord slaughtered Jesus. Jesus was a holy offering. Jesus died on the cross so that we don't have to die. And I think Revelation 20 is another slaughter, but there's no more sacrifice for sin. You don't want to be part of that. You don't want to be part of that. You want judgment to pass over you. You want Jesus as your savior. It's pretty simple. 
The priest who offers the sacrifice as a sin offering must eat his portion in a sacred place within the courtyard of the tabernacle. Anyone or anything that touches the sacrificial meat will become holy. If any of the sacrificial blood spatters on a person's clothing, the soiled garment must be washed in a secret place. If a clay pot is used to boil the sacrificial meat, it must then be broken. If a bronze pot is used, it must be scoured and thoroughly washed, rinsed with water. Any male from a priest's family may eat from this offering. It is most holy. But the offering for sin may not be eaten if its blood was brought into the tabernacle as an offering for purification. In the holy place, it must be completely burned with fire. I'm just thinking before I close that maybe this is like the, the priest can eat of the sacrifice. Maybe that's what communion is. It's We're supposed to be uh, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. As Christians, we are eating of the raw sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. His body was broken, which is symbolized by the bread, and um, his blood was spilled, which cleanses us, which is symbolized by the wine. So maybe that's... Maybe in this passage, I can see communion. And obviously Jesus understood this and he took it to a different level. It's amazing, isn't it? Our Savior knew the Bible. He read the Bible. He had to learn the Bible. Paul had to learn and read the Bible too. Of course, they knew it by heart totally. I would think that if Paul knew the Bible, then Jesus knew the Bible too. But we should read the Bible. At least I feel better reading it to say, Lord, you gave it to me. I read it. I understood like 90%. I understood like 10% of it. But I just want to tell you that I did try. Wow, it's quite the world we're living in. I think the Lord is coming soon. I don't want to sound like a nut, but I think I do even to myself sometimes. And I want to be a person who's positive. The glass is, is half full rather than half empty. But the Lord is coming soon. I'm absolutely guaranteed. I'm absolutely, absolutely believing this more every single day. Thanks for listening. Excuse my dime store psychology and my two cents. I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you. Have a wonderful day.